I'm Amy Van Heeren. Welcome to The Pump Spot. We are here sharing nourishing stories and conversations about the beauty, challenges, the joys, and the humor of motherhood. This week, our own Nina spoke with Sarah Reardon for a wonderful and fascinating episode about pelvic floor health. Sarah is a pelvic floor physical therapist who has an incredible wealth of knowledge to share with us about pelvic floor health and normalizing a visit to a therapist like her. She also has her own experience to share as a breastfeeding working mother of two, and she's been really open and honest on social media about her experience. She's made us laugh. She's taught us a lot. And so we hope that you will enjoy this conversation between Sarah and Nina as much as we did. Listen in and join us on the app, as always, to continue the conversation. Enjoy. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to The Pump Spot. I am so excited to speak with you today. Um, I've been following your work for a long time, and I've always had a lot of interest in pelvic floor health. And so I just have a lot of questions, and I'm really excited to get started. How, how are you doing today? It's so good, Nina. Thank you for having me. Similarly, I've been following you all for over three years now. So I'm just super excited to connect and love the work that you're doing as well. So I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, do you want to just start by telling us a little bit about who you are and your background, both as a pelvic floor physical therapist and as a mother? Absolutely. So um, I, my name's Sarah Reardon. I am a pelvic floor physical therapist, which many of you may or may not know what that is. Um, but I specialize in treating the pelvic region of our body. So that includes everything from bowel and bladder function, sexual health, and pregnancy and postpartum. I've been doing this for about 14 years. Um, I am located in New Orleans, which is my hometown and have a clinic here where I'm able to really work with people in our community and um, have two little kids. I have a three-year-old, Sean, and a five-year-old, Dylan, who keep me very busy. <laughs> I can relate. I have two boys of my own, and it is, it is a busy, busy life full of fun. Um, so how did you get interested in pelvic floor health? It seems like a pretty... Um, specific field. And most of the people I know in this field were kind of doing something else. And then once they got pregnant, they were like, whoa, this is a whole world that's opening up to me. So what was your journey? How did you find yourself here? So I, I went to graduate school in St. Louis um, at a university called Washington University in St. Louis. And I went there for undergraduate and then went right into their physical therapy program. And we had a professor who I loved and really looked up to, and she was kind of our women's health instructor. So she was really one um, of the practitioners who was on the forefront of this. And I was lucky enough to have a couple lectures in our curriculum and do what we call like residency rotations in grad school. I was the only one out of my class of 63 who had any interest in pelvic health. And I think what attracted me to it was just thinking that it was really interesting. I thought no one educates us about our bodies. This seems really kind of interesting to learn as a woman. And so let me just give it a try. And I loved it right away. So I, it's all I've done in my physical therapy career. But one of the reasons I love it is not just being able to kind of understand my own body, which helped me during pregnancy and postpartum, but to be able to help people with something they didn't know there was help for is incredibly rewarding. And I think that has really been what's driven me over all the years to keep you know, sharing this information to advocating for pelvic floor PT for women is that this help is out there and we often don't know that it's there. 
I love that. And that's something that um, I have a background in doula work. And it's something that I am always encouraging clients to seek support for because it seems like there's so much that women accept as just a norm in their lives, whether it's related to childbirth or not, like um, that this is just the way life is now because of my experience or because I am a woman. And it's like the thing that people aren't talking about. So I think that that's so awesome. And such an important goal is to be providing light on these issues that can be so um, hard to talk about for some people. Um, What are some of the most common reasons that people come to see you? What are like maybe top three issues that you're seeing your patients for? So right now in my practice, I see a lot of pregnancy. So a lot of um, individuals who are um, pregnant and they are preparing for childbirth. There's been so much more education and advocacy around women getting help during pregnancy and then preparing for birth so that outcomes can be um, improved. So that's one. And definitely postpartum as well. We're having women come in around the six-week postpartum um, checkpoint to just come in and whether they've had a vaginal or cesarean birth to say like, hey, I'm still leaking. What do I do about this? Or I want to get back to exercise. How do I do it safely? Or my abdominals are, you know, has a, have a separation. You know, how do I modify exercise? So right now it's pregnancy, postpartum. And then the third is actually painful sex. I think that you know, and this is something that affects um, women of all ages, from whether they are in their teens or um, you know college years, and they're starting to become sexually active, or even into menopause, where your hormones are changing and your body's changing. And again, times in our lives where we don't get a lot of education about pelvic health, and some of these symptoms can start. So, you know, that is painful sex is probably one of the more common ones that I see. And also urinary leakage with, um, you know, whether you've been pregnant or not, but definitely in the postpartum period is a common one. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad that you can share that because I think even just sometimes I think people just hearing those words are like, oh, I it's okay for me to wonder about this and ask someone for help about this. So that's great. Um, and I know that like some people have they even hear the words pelvic floor physical therapy and just might think like, you know, that's, that's not for me, or I don't know what that is, or it doesn't make sense. Or so could you maybe just talk about um, what a first appointment might look like or how you do an assessment or maybe just kind of normalize the experience a little bit for those who might be interested, but a little bit nervous about taking that first step? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the reasons I really started my Instagram account was I thought, you know, one, I'm seeing so many women who are having these issues, but they don't know that other women are also having these issues because they're coming to me for a one-on-one appointment, but, you know, we're not really talking about it with our girlfriends or our um, colleagues as, you know, normal um, or everyday conversation. So one of the reasons I started was like, you know, everybody is kind of experiencing, they just don't realize it. And they don't realize that pelvic floor physical therapy is something that can help. And it's not often being recommended by, you know, physicians now as kind of standard care. So I've really seen such almost like an uprising from the community of women saying, hey, we want this treatment and this service, because we hear it's something that can be helpful for us. Um, So, you know, I always say as a physical therapist, I work with muscles and tissues and nerves, and I happen to work with the muscles and tissues and nerves in the pelvic region of the body. So that includes your abdominals, your thighs, your low back and buttocks. 
But also at the very base of your pelvis, there's a basket of muscles that kind of sit like a hammock. And that's what we really refer to as your pelvic floor muscles. And those muscles have the openings um, for the vagina, for a vaginal birth or um, vaginal intercourse. And they also have the openings for urination and, um, and poop. So they have your urinary sphincter and anal sphincter. I always say in females, we've got three holes, <laughs> which some people don't know that. But, um, you know, so again, we can see how if the pelvic floor muscles are affected or changed in any way, that could affect sexual function, bladder function, or bowel function. And the reason I focus a lot on pregnancy and postpartum is because that's when we really see a huge transformation in a woman's body, um, where, again, it's often not being addressed that the pelvic floor could change and some symptoms may change. So when you come in to see a pelvic floor therapist, we usually sit down for 15, 20 minutes for the first session, and we just talk. I ask questions about, you know, what can I help you with? What are your goals? whether it's urinary leakage or painful sex or return to exercise, and then explain to you what the pelvic floor muscles are and what they do, and then what we're going to do in an exam. An exam is external and internal. So externally, I kind of just check your abdominals and your low back and buttocks. And then internally, I, um, my, I step out of the room, my patient's undressed from the waist down, and they're covered up with a sheet. You know, we do use, I use real sheets and real linens. I don't like rolling, <laughs> you know, tables with paper and like, you know, I just feel like it's, um, it just, our goal is to really help everyone feel comfortable because this is a naturally kind of uncomfortable situation. And then we do an intravaginal assessment to um, kind of assess and examine those muscles that are the hammock. And we look for tension in the muscles or weakness and just see how they're functioning. So we know what are our next steps for treatment. Great. So that, that doesn't sound too scary. <laughs> I do my best to kind of demystify it. And yeah. it also doesn't mean that you're, that it, it's okay to kind of be scared. You know, I mean, I get scared when I go to a new workout class, let alone something where it's, we're working with an intimate part of our bodies that, you know, typically people come see us when they're having an issue with something. So there's not just a physical component, but there's also a psychological and emotional component that, um, you know, we may be really vulnerable in that area. So we try to do our best um, to really make it a comfortable environment. It's private. You're in a private treatment room, one-on-one, um, -on -one, and just, um, you know, help really teach you kind of what's going on in a very medical way, but in a very comfortable way as well. What are some common myths about pelvic floor health? Like one that I know is becoming maybe more widely known, but that like, I feel like for maybe my parents' generation, it was like, well, after you have a baby, you just pee your pants and that's just the way it is. And that's the price you pay. And we understand a little bit more now that there's steps you can take and um, things you can do. Are there other myths about pelvic floor health that you would like to share with us? Absolutely. So I think um, that's one of the biggest ones. I think that, you know, when we are going through um, pregnancy and birth or when we are, you know, entering menopause, that our bodies change and we just kind of have to deal with it. And that is definitely not the case. There is so much research to support pelvic floor physical therapy to help relieve a lot of these issues. And, you know, research does show if we don't, um, actively work to rehabilitate our bodies after birth, then often these symptoms don't get better and they may potentially get worse. And so that's one of the things that I say, you know, when we go through a knee surgery, you're in physical therapy day one, yet we're not doing that for our postpartum population. The second thing is that Kegels are the exercise for everything. And 
Kegels are pelvic floor muscle strengthening exercises. They're contractions of your pelvic floor. And, you know, we kind of have a lot of like jokes about, you know, keeping these muscles strong or keeping them tight. But actually more often, I see a lot of individuals who have tension in these muscles. So we're sitting for a lot of the day. We are you know, have um, slow digestion, we may have constipation, we are stressed and our bodies hold on to tension. We're doing all of these workouts that are about shortening and tightening and contracting and those muscles get really tight and tense. So Kegels can potentially make the situation worse and they're the opposite of what you want to do. And more often people need lengthening and relaxing of these pelvic floor muscles before they just go do a bunch of Kegels. So um, that's another, I think, really huge myth that um, we don't you know, really educate ourselves on. And then, you know, the other thing I think is that, um, you know, to your point about just having to to kind of accept the way that they are, I I think this isn't a myth, but it's something I really encourage all all people to do is to advocate for your health. I, I really lean on people to say, like, you know your body best. So I don't know your body best. So we lean to medical providers a lot, including myself, to get these diagnoses. But if I just really listen to my patients, they're telling me 95% of what's going on and my exam just confirms it. So I don't go in there and say like, oh, well, you know, this is what you have this and you have this. I'm like, no, I, I hear what they're saying. And more often than not, they know their bodies, they're living in it. And so I tell people to really trust their intuition, advocate if you feel like something's not right, or, or you really want resources that aren't being offered to you. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I, I, can relate to the Kegels comment because it's like, I mean, I remember when I was pregnant, it was like every app was like, don't forget to do your Kegels. And it just felt, I mean, I think I probably did them, but it was like, and then you read like, you might not be doing them right. And so there's so much information. And I think what you're saying about like the sitting and how we are, I know so many people, especially right now where we are in the world are just holding so much of our daily stress in our bodies. And so, you know, that leads me to another question about are there exercises or um, lifestyle practices that are beneficial to everyone is there like unlike kegels are there is there something that everyone can do that is health healthy for their pelvic floor or their you know reproductive area of their body yeah um that's a great question so i've got i always have a couple rules of thumb for people so you know the first is just thinking about the day-to-day things we do that are related to our pelvic floor so peeing for example um i often tell people don't push when you pee So when you urinate, your bladder is actually like a balloon. And when you relax your pelvic floor just by sitting and taking a big, deep breath, your bladder pushes the urine out for you because it's like a balloon that's deflating versus you having to like push or strain to think you've got to get it out quicker or empty it all the way. When you push or strain, that actually can weaken your pelvic floor muscles over time. So when you urinate, you just sit, chill, breathe, and let your bladder do the work for you. Again, if you have any challenges with that, that may be a sign you can work with a physical therapist. Um, the same thing for pooping. When you are pooping, you do need to have a li- give a little bit more of um, a bearing down effort. But I, I'm kind of a squatty potty evangelist. So if you don't know what that is, it's a little stool that goes underneath your, um, your toilet. But anything that you can use to elevate your feet to put you in more of a squatting position helps relax your pelvic floor. If you think about women giving birth, if you think about camping in the woods, we all squat to relax the pelvic floor, and that's what we want for poops. So using a stool under your feet, and then when you are trying to you know, 
push the poop out, you should exhale instead of holding your breath. So exhaling like you're blowing out candles or blowing bubbles so that you avoid straining um, to hold your breath. And then, so those are two kind of really common myths that apply to, you know, actually both males and females. Um, You know, and then other things about, you know, when you are doing um, exercise, kind of knowing how to monitor your symptoms, that urinary leakage is not normal with jumping or, or running or anything like that. And pain is also not normal, back pain, hip pain, um, any of those things to really kind of listen to the cues that your body's giving you to say, okay, hey, I need to kind of scale back a little bit or go work with a specialist um, if, if any issues arise in that arena. Hey friends, we want to take a quick break and remind you of all the places you can connect with us and this lovely pump spotting community. If you're a nursing, pumping, or new mom, or a seasoned mom who just wants to get back, hop on our app. If you're also working or you're part of a company that wants to support breastfeeding employees, then Pump Spotting at Work is for you. Find out more at pumpspotting.com. I have to I have to do a confession right now. I knew it was going to happen at some point on this interview, but um, I ordered myself a squatty potty after having followed your Instagram posts and looking around on your website, I was like, all right, it's time. It just has to happen now. I'm doing it. So thank you. Um, it hasn't absolutely. come yet, but I will let you know when it does. Great. <laughs> well, your life will be changed. <laughs> so um, I hear. And the 21,000 reviews on Amazon seem to confirm that as well. Right. So. <laughs> and even if you can't order the Squatty Potty, I'm like, use yoga blocks, put a trash can on its side. I'm, I use my kid's toddler stool. So, and what's interesting about this is that I think if we learn the ways we're able to teach our kids um, everything from how to poop to, you know, if you've got a young um, teenage daughter or young daughter, how to, you know, manage menstrual hygiene and, you know, just things that kind of didn't get talked about when I was growing up, I feel like we start incorporating them to our lives. We can kind of change the conversation for the next generation and teach everybody how to take really good poops. So, <laughs> Absolutely. If there's one thing I can impart on my children, I hope it's that. <laughs> You've been really open um, on your Instagram account and um, with the, your followers about your own breastfeeding journey and your postpartum experience. And I was just wondering if you could share a little bit about that with our listeners and maybe even talk a little bit about why it was important to you to be so um, vulnerable and honest in such a public way about your experience. Sure. And so these are, you know, I, it's really interesting because for me, breastfeeding was probably one of the biggest challenges I had um, postpartum. I, as a pelvic health physical therapist, I felt so lucky that I kind of knew what to do to prepare for birth. And I had two really kind of wonderful unmedicated births. And I did so much to prepare for those. And I didn't even read a book about breastfeeding. I didn't see a lactation consultant. I didn't take a course. I thought it was just going to be so intuitive and it was not. And I went from being totally prepared to have the baby to having the baby and having no idea how to care for the baby. And then again, being in a compromised postpartum state of healing and exhaustion and all in hormone fluctuations. So, um, you know, I think me sharing it was really just not even thinking about what I was doing. I was kind of just doing what I do, which is talk and overshare. And I'm in the pelvic health world. So talking about these things is part of my daily job. It's part of my dinner table conversation. It's part of like, 
you know, wine with my girlfriends. So I'm really comfortable talking about these things also because I ask people to share them with me. Two, you know, with breastfeeding, I just was like, why didn't anybody tell me? If I would have known that there were things to learn or I should have prepared, that's where I felt like I wish I would have known this sooner. And it really almost, I felt like I wanted to do over with my second child. I almost get emotional talking about it because it was such a hard thing. And that's why I love the awareness that you all are bringing to, to moms because I'm just like, you know, Instagram wasn't around five years ago when I had my first kid. And I didn't know that there were these things to do and products to buy. And I didn't live with my sisters and my mom didn't breastfeed. So I just didn't have that community support that maybe others did or we used to have. And so, um, again, I just really believe in the power of community. I believe in the power of conversation. And just like, we're not getting anywhere you know, with picture perfect everything, I think we're we're making changes and supporting one another more when we can just be like, hey, things are hard and here are some resources to help you along the way. Thank you so much for sharing that and for um, everything that you've shared on your Instagram account and with your community because I totally agree that it is so important that we share these raw experiences because there is so much beyond these professional photo shoots of people breastfeeding and these idealized, romanticized visions of motherhood. And I think it helps people so much to see that they're not alone in their own challenges. And um, I can really relate to your experience. I also had a very hard time um, with my first child with breastfeeding and with the postpartum experience in general. And um, sometimes wish I could have a do-over too. So I, I know that feeling and it makes me want to cry. So I know. Well, I'm lobbying for a third kid so I can have a do-over. My oh. husband is less, <laughs> he's less excited about that. You know, but the other thing is that on my, you know, my Instagram, I also kind of share these like crazy humorous moments. And I'm like, I just caught a turd in my hand. Is anybody else going through this as well? Like these are the things that we go through in our clothes, behind closed doors and in our homes. And I'm going, I can't be the only one that this has happened to. And then you share it and everybody's saying, oh my gosh, this was me. And so it really kind of makes light of this situation too, why we can all kind of um, be in community about the, those kind of wild moments. Absolutely. And it is, I mean, the motherhood journey is, it's ups and downs. I mean, I remember when I first had my baby, people would ask me, how is it? And I would just say, it's, you know, I, I can't do this on a podcast, but it's, it's not a straight line, you know, from morning to evening or from Monday to Sunday. It is just, you know, some moments are high, some moments are low, and then there's a lot of in between. And um, it is so nice to be able to share all of it with, with a big community of people. Um, and so, um, I know you mentioned when we were talking before about um, there being a connection between um, the process or experience of breastfeeding and pelvic floor health. And that's something that I had never heard of. And I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about that for our Absolutely. listeners. Yeah. So um, when you are lactating or breastfeeding, your um, prolactin levels, which is a hormone, um, tend to stay high. And we want those prolactin levels high because that's kind of our milk producing hormone. In order for your prolactin levels to be high, your estrogen levels usually are lower. So they kind of work inversely. Lower estrogen is higher prolactin. 
which is when you have lower estrogen, this is, you know, I don't know if you can remember, but the early days postpartum when you get the shakes and the chills in bed and you almost feel like you're having hot flashes like you're in menopause, it's because your estrogen levels are like really plummeting. You have so much estrogen during pregnancy and then it just really after birth decreases quite rapidly so that your milk production can go high. So, and then as long as you're lactating, your estrogen levels may continue to stay low, which is why, you know, often we get a delayed menstrual cycle. But with lower estrogen, you can get um, also experience vaginal dryness. So vaginal dryness can um, cause um, vaginal itching. It can cause just, you know, dryness, like it feels like rubbing on your underwear or um, kind of almost like sandpaper sometime between the labia. And it can also contribute to discomfort with intercourse. So, you know, we get the thumbs up to go back to intercourse at four to six weeks. Um, and then if we try it and it's uncomfortable, we don't have any follow-up with a medical provider. So one of the things I always recommend for, you know, postpartum moms is to, when you are returning to vaginal intercourse, to use a, a water-soluble lubricant. Um, if, it, if there is pain, pain is not normal, maybe some, um, you know, some slight discomfort if you're still healing. But to just anticipate some of that dryness and that there are different things that you can use to help with it over the course of um, postpartum recovery, even up to a year postpartum or as long as you may be lactating or breastfeeding, Great. that you may Thank still you. experience some really of that dryness. Um, and so I have one more question and then I did gather some questions from our community, kind of like anonymous here's your chance to ask the pelvic floor physical therapist sort of question. So, um, so this last question is, who are your patients? I know you mentioned that a lot of people you're seeing are both um, pregnant and early postpartum um, women, but I also saw on your website that you see men and um, I'm assuming you see other women of all ages. And so if you could just tell us a little bit about who you see and um and maybe some of the different things you see people for at different ages. Sure, this is great because I often think that we only think of um, pelvic floor for pregnancy and postpartum and that's such kind of a small window of really what we can do and what we can help with. So um, in my practice, I see individuals from the years of 18 and older. There are some physical therapists who do pediatrics for urinary or bladder issues. Um, I'm, I just don't typically do pediatrics. It's more of a specialty. Um, so, you know, starting early in um, earlier in life, it can be, any, again, anything with female athletes with urinary leakage, painful tampon insertion or pelvic exams, painful intercourse, um, constipation, anything along those lines, pelvic health related, you know, moving into trying to conceive, um, pregnancy and postpartum. We often also see some kind of more specific conditions like, you know, women who have endometriosis or painful menstruation, um, irritable bowel syndrome, or what's called interstitial cystitis, which is a um, kind of inflammation of the bladder. All of those are kind of pain syndromes where your muscles may be involved and we can work on relaxation and of those tissues and muscles. And then in later, you know, in life, um, again, whether you've had children or not, urinary leakage, um, painful intercourse, moving into menopause um, with, you know, prolapse where your organs aren't as well supported and um, just tra transitions with um, hormones. So really all across the lifespan, but I see males as well. And, you know, you wouldn't know by the vagina whisper, my Instagram handle, but I do, I've seen males my whole career and it's for very similar issues, for urinary issues, bowel issues, pain with sitting, pain with, you know, um, 
intercourse. Um, and then, um, you know, all kinds of, you know, prostate issues as well. So males have pelvic floors as well. And I definitely see them in my clinic for, for similar issues. Awesome. Thank you. That's really helpful. And hopefully someone will hear that and think, ooh, I should go see a pelvic floor physical therapist. <laughs> so, and you know, we even see sometimes we have, you know, women come in, they go, I think my husband might need this. And so then we end up seeing their partners. And so, yeah, I definitely think the more that we talk about it and, and let people know that this is a service out there, it, it may, you know, resonate with more than just females. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I have a few questions from our community and, um, I know I didn't send these to you in advance, so no pressure to know all the answers or if there's anything you don't want to answer, just pass or whatever. But um, I think that we hear a lot about or people make the assumption that, um, you know, pelvic floor physical therapy is for, um, you know, incontinence or um, loose pelvic floor muscles. But I, from what I understand, um, having a tight or overactive pelvic floor is also a problem, which you already mentioned in this interview. Um, but what are some of the signs and symptoms that someone might be dealing with a tight pelvic floor? It's a great question. So again, if we think about if these muscles are tense um, or, and not relaxing well, that may limit our ability to empty our bladder. So that can lead to chronic urinary tract infections, feeling like you have to push to pee or that you're not emptying your bladder all the way. You may go and then 15 minutes later, you feel like you have to go again because you didn't empty. So that kind of urinary frequency could be some signs of overactivity. The same thing with pooping. If you feel like you have several bowel movements a day that you have to strain to empty, like the poop gets right there and you can't get it out all the way. Those are also signs that the muscles or sphincters may not be relaxing well to empty. And then with respect to um, pain, I mean, painful, again, you know, we mentioned some of these, but painful intercourse, painful tampon insertion, pain with sitting, the tailbone attaches to these pelvic floor muscles, um, pain with cycling, if there's pressure on that area, um, even kind of sensitivity in the vaginal area, just with wearing underwear or touching the area, a lot of nerves can be very sensitive um, due to tight muscles or tissues that can be signs of overactivity. So, you know, all of those things, and again, it's, these are signs and symptoms, but we see women who leak who also have tension. Their muscles are so tight that they actually can't contract well to prevent the leakage, or their muscles are so tight that they're straining to pee or poop and it's leading to prolapse. So, it's not just, again, going off of, I leak, I need to strengthen, and I have pain, I need to relax. It's, you can kind of be in the middle and, um, you know, really need a little bit more kind of one-on-one -on -one guidance as to what the next best steps would be. Great. Thank you. And you kind of just mentioned, happened to mention this in the previous answer, but um, can pelvic floor physical therapy help with chronic UTIs? So that's a great question. If it's, um, yes, um, if it's due to incomplete bladder emptying due to overactive muscles. So there are some tests that can be run in a urologist's office that diagnose whether the muscles are relaxing well. Um, and then when you see us, we can also do our assessments to see. So if it's due to non-relaxing pelvic floor muscles, then absolutely. What we also see, though, is individuals who have, um, it feels like a urinary tract infection, but the test is negative. And I've even experienced this myself, that I'll go in and get tested. I'm like, it's kind of burning. It feels irritated. I'm going a lot. And it's the test is negative. 
and then maybe they still put you on antibiotics, um, but it can be a pelvic floor issue where those muscles and nerves are kind of causing that symptom. So it can help relieve that as well. Fascinating. That is, wow. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Here's another one. Um, This is from a nurse and she wrote, I notice in my work that women of all ages, but especially the over 60 population struggle with leaking, whether or not they've given birth. Is this something pelvic floor PT can address? And until what age would you recommend referrals? So we've kind of addressed this, but if you just want to give a quick answer for that one. Sure. So even if you haven't given birth again, when your estrogen levels decrease later in life, you know, around or after menopause, estrogen kind of helps plump up your vagina, keeps things lubricated, and you lose that um, tissue integrity later when you're in menopause. So often using some topical estrogen on the area can be helpful. Also, if you, you know, we see women who leak who they're pushing when they, um, are pooping and that's causing weakness over time and that's leading to bladder leakage or their long-term exercises and exercisers and a lot of pressure downward has caused some weakness. So there can be other things that are contributing besides just childbirth. I think what's tricky about that population is that was really um, a, a decade where, or decades where those women were saying, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, and a lot of those symptoms don't just start in their 60s. They have a little leak with a cough or a sneeze in their 40s, and then it gets a little bit worse in their 50s, and then before you know it, they're wearing liners every day. Or So it's something that is gradual, but they weren't necessarily aware that there was help for it. So um, I think that they definitely should come into pelvic floor therapy. I see women in their 60s and 70s and even 80s in my practice. There are... Um, pelvic health PTs who take Medicare insurance if they are, you know, under Medicare, but there have, I have not had a patient come in, especially in that age bracket that said, this was not helpful. They say, I wish I would have known this sooner. This was so helpful. That's great. And it's great to hear that it's, you know, it's never too late, essentially. Never. Even if it's been an issue your entire adult life or, you, you know, it's never too late to get help and make some changes. So that's, that's inspiring. Um, and then this one, we also kind of addressed already, but, um, is there a place in men's health for pelvic floor therapy and can it be used to treat erectile dysfunction? So this is a a great question. And so there are erectile dysfunction kind of, um, can be due to multiple issues. It can be due to a vascular issue where circulation is compromised, a nerve issue. We often see that nerve issue after a prostate surgery, um, it can be due to a psychogenic issue of 10% of the time. That's often what happens or even a side effect of medication. There are some medications that cause it, but the muscles um, that help maintain erections are your pelvic floor muscles. So we do see men in our practice who they may have a pelvic floor issue that is contributing to um, the inability to achieve or maintain an erection. However, what we do is we assess them. So I've had individuals come in and they have really tight, tense pelvic floor, and that's actually leading to some erectile issues or they have weakness. But I've also had men come in and they, I assess them. I go, you know, everything's functioning really well. This is likely not a pelvic floor issue. And so I think it really, it can absolutely be something helpful not every physical therapist treats males um, in the pelvic floor arena. I definitely do and, and actually enjoy it quite a bit. I, again, it's another population I feel like it's nice to be able to help them with something they didn't know there was help for. But we assess them and we say, if pelvic floor muscles are an issue, then we definitely work with them on that. Great. That's the, this is another thing I knew nothing about before <laughs> this. So thank you. That's super interesting. 
Um, okay, next question is, is, do you see a place where pelvic floor health education might be incorporated into more mainstream like sex education or something that is done in um, from like a school nurse or from a pediatrician or primary, like a way to kind of incorporate it so that more people have access to the information from an early age and maybe who don't have the resources to seek a private therapist? Absolutely. I mean, I think that the earlier that we can start educating individuals about this, the better. So, you know, we get sex education in lower school or in high school. And I think teaching individuals about, you know, how, what, if there is a problem, this is where you can go. I don't expect everybody just know how to assess the pelvic floor muscles and to train someone, but know that pelvic floor physical therapy is a resource and that, you know, if you're experiencing A, B, C, or D, this is who you should go see. And that's not the place we are right now. I don't, again, I think I often meet people who are still saying, I didn't know there was physical therapy for that. So I think as early as, you know, I've worked with 40-year-old women teaching them how to insert a tampon for the first time. And I know when I started my menses at 10, I was given a box of tampons and a book. <laughs> Bless my mom, love her. But that isn't education. That's not pelvic health education. So I think as our generation starts to become more comfortable talking about this, knowing what's normal, what's not, we can start with our youth, teaching them about it again. And even with your first um, sexual encounter, you know, what should that feel like? Should there be pain with that? Um, you know, if you're playing college um, athletics, um, leakage is not a normal thing. This is where you could go for that. So starting really early is, I think, optimal. And then again, into menopause, you know, we've got so many women entering menopause and they're saying, I didn't know these changes were going to happen to my body. Why didn't anybody tell me? So even into the later stages, helping proactively provide education to women. And I don't expect, again, primary care to do it or OBGYNs, or, but I do ex anticipate and hope and advocate that they refer to physical therapists or pelvic health specialists to be able to support those women during their, that point in their life. I have one more question from our audience, and then um, we will probably start to wrap it up. So let's see what this last one is. Um, so this is also kind of related to things we've talked about, but um, this is kind of a different angle. So it says, what are things to think about when you are doing other kinds of exercise that can help with pelvic health? So to some things, this is kind of a, a general question because I guess exercise is different. It could be yoga, it could be cardio, it could be weightlifting or CrossFit. So it really depends. Um, but I think to know that exercise does affect your pelvic health, anything that is typically high impact. And um, when we think about the forces on our body, um, with higher impact activity, like running, jumping, lifting weight, there is more force, downward force, or in increased pressure on the pelvic floor. So I always say we have to train these muscles to meet the demands of what we're asking them to do. We train our quads, we train our glutes and our arms and shoulders. And if we're asking our pelvic floor to meet the demands of running five miles or you know, um, doing jump ropes or double unders, then we've got to make sure our pelvic floor can also accommodate that. So that's one thing. The second thing is that your pelvic floor is actually integrated with your core. So when you are breathing, your pelvic floor is um, contracting, relaxing. When you are doing deep core work of 
you know, we call these muscles your transverse abdominal muscles, but we often think of them like, oh, when you pull your belly button towards your spine, those muscles also help activate your pelvic floor. So if you're going to be doing certain exercises like lifting or even if we're as moms, lifting kids, lifting boxes of Costco groceries, lifting a stroller into the trunk, activate those muscles because you need them. So it's not just, you know, doing Kegels or exercising. It's actually implementing those strategies into your day-to-day because that's what we're working out for. So, um, you know, definitely I think if you are doing some higher intensity exercise and you are having issues, I would check in with a pelvic PT and or if you are postpartum and trying to return to those things, I would also check in with a pelvic PT. Great. Thank you, Sarah. I've learned so much today. I could just... I want to do this like every week. I'll just have more and more questions for you. (laughs) Um, I actually love the questions. I mean, these are great questions and um, really are covering so many topics that, you know, I don't even always talk about on my Instagram, but yeah, there is, there's so many resources out there. And I, and so many of us are trying to make this more accessible by doing, you know, online courses or Instagram lives or webinars and just really starting to kind of make sure that this is accessible information for everyone. Wonderful. Um, we generally end each podcast by asking our guest to share an uplift or some sort of inspirational comment or quote or thing that kind of keeps you going. Um, do you have something you'd like to share with us? Yeah. And this is, um, you know, we're, we're doing this interview at a time, um, that's very tricky in our world and very tricky for our youth. (laughs) So, um, and very tricky for, you know, parents and mothers and expecting mothers. And, um, you know, I think it may sound cheesy, but I always say like everything is temporary. And so I know that in my journey of motherhood, I have had some really challenging times, like my times of breastfeeding or, um, you know, when I had two young children under two was really difficult. Or even now, you know, they are returning to school in the middle of a pandemic and it's very anxiety provoking. And I have to always remember like this time is temporary and I want to be here right now. I don't want to wish it away. This is where we are, but I also know that it won't be this way forever. And it also goes when things are awesome. Like there are moments when I like couldn't love my kids more and they're sweet babies sleeping on your chest or, you know, my husband and I are like enjoying an amazing vacation together or I see my kid do something that just makes me beam with pride. And, you know, those moments are also temporary. So I, I, I try to be present for them. I don't want to miss them. I try to soak them in, but I also know that they won't be that way forever too. So that is probably the number one mantra I have in motherhood, even in pelvic floor therapy. Like this is where you are now. Again, you always talk about the kind of highs and lows, but that's probably the number one thing that's kind of helped me navigate these times. I totally agree. I've been saying that to myself a lot as well. And I feel like as my kids have gotten older, it's gotten so much easier to see that kind of play out in real time. Like, cause when you're kind of in it in the beginning, it feels like this is going to be, I'm never going to sleep again, or I'm going to have to breastfeed forever or whatever the challenges that you're dealing with. And then they get older and you're like, Oh, time passed and things changed and they're better or they're worse some days or whatever it is. But yes, everything is temporary. Pump spotting is, um, we're actually about to launch a new version of our app. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a really, we've got a really exciting um, next iteration coming out in the next like eight weeks. Um, And we also have a couple of different programs. Um, One is 
we're kind of, we have a pump spotting at work corporate program. So um, businesses can purchase a package from us and it includes um, lactation rooms. And then within our app, um, they can include locations of lactation rooms on their campuses. So like some of these big corporations have like sprawling buildings or whatever. And so it's easy to find different places to pump. Um, and they also have access to channels that are specifically for all of the parents or the moms at that specific business. So you can log on to the app and have this feed that's, you know, a general community of all pump spotting users. But then you can also see just people at your workplace to help create more community among parents at specific workplaces. Um, and we have this podcast, which is we're in the first year of um, episodes right now. So we're still kind of growing the podcast and um, finding amazing guests to bring on. So thank you for joining us. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'd say the app and the corporate program are the two biggest okay, cool. things on the horizon right now. But we also, um, you know, there's a couple of other things in the works and, um you know, I know that Amy is really itching to do another Breast Express tour when it's safe to do that again. So, um, yeah, but those are the two big things and just always trying to create the, you know, non-judgmental, supportive community building that has kind of the heart of what pump spotting does. Okay, awesome. Great. That's exciting because I'm not breastfeeding anymore so I was like yeah. I don't know what they're up to so this is it's yeah great to hear that. so Sarah can you also share with our listeners where people can connect with you uh, you have such an amazing Instagram account I highly encourage everybody who's listening to go check her out there so Sarah tell us where we can find you Thanks, Nina. So I am on Instagram as the Vagina Whisperer. It's the period vagina period whisperer. Um, and I also, that is my website, thevaginawhisperer.com. And on the website, we have a ton of blog posts about, you know, different types of pelvic health issues, pregnancy and postpartum. We kind of wanted to just be a resource of, hey, these are the things that nobody's really talking about. And this is where you can get that information. And we also offer online courses that are just, you know, for specific topics like um, preparing for childbirth or postpartum recovery for a cesarean birth or vaginal birth or even constipation or painful sex. So again, in an effort to kind of make this information accessible, we've taken it down to bite-sized chunks of little mini courses and pregnancy fitness stuff so that everyone can get the resources they need. Great. Well, Sarah, having you on has been such a pleasure. I it lived up to all of my hopes and dreams and more. <laughs> so thank you for, for spending this time with us. And um, I hope that, that everything in your life continues to have its beautiful ups and downs and that, you know, we all get through this time. Great. Thank you so much, Nina. I love the work you all are doing. And I'm just so excited to be able to collaborate and share this information. So thank you as well. This has been the Pump Spotting Podcast. We'll be continuing the conversation and hanging out over on our app. We hope you'll come by to share your story and thoughts. And if you haven't already downloaded Pump Spotting, it's quick and easy to set up your profile and join the community. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to our wonderful production team at Pitchwire, who partner with us to bring you these stories. We'll see you next time. And remember, you are capable, you are radiant, and you are not alone.